We are, uh, we're going to continue in our study uh, of the church. Thank you, Landon. And uh, I mean, I can just have you play the whole time. That'd be great. <laughs> that would keep me going. Um, we're going to continue in our study of the church. And so last week we talked about giving. We talked about giving. And not only just, you know, a lot of times we talk about giving, we get, uh, we get worried, we get concerned, we kind of clench onto our pocketbooks. But remember that, that when we talked about giving, we're not only talking about our monetary giving, but our momentary giving and what that looks like and how that functions in our life and that God is asking for us just to give. He's not concerned with abilities or talents or amounts. He's just saying give of ourselves and what we have to give to him that he's given to us. And so this week we're going to continue on and, and I want to f- specifically focus as we wrap up this week and we move into the fall and everything. I really believe God's got some great things for our church moving into the fall. And, uh, and so we're going to talk this morning about evangelism. You know, what that looks like, uh, what, what the opportunity that God's laid before us, the responsibility that God's laid before us. And there's three questions that I hope that we'll be able to answer this morning. First off, what is evangelism? Uh, who are we evangelizing and how do we evangelize? How does that look in my life as an individual uh, outside of the context of the, of the church gathering? What does that look like for me to, to evangelize and who am I looking to evangelize in my life? And so uh, the, this morning, I pray that that's what we'll find. I pray that that's what we'll see and I pray that that's what we'll hear as we're challenged with that this morning. You know, uh, the Barna uh, group, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the Barna group is a group that does studies. They do research studies specifically on religious organizations, mostly in Christianity just kind of uh, tracking trends, whether it's church attendance or, or how people interact or respond to certain things about the faith and that type of thing. And um, so the uh, Barna did a study on Christians and they said this, that they said 96% of Christians believe a part of being a believer is being a witness for Jesus. So they're specifically kind of talking about evangelism and we'll kind of talk about the difference between witnessing and evangelism later, but specifically they're kind of mentioning evangelism in this, in this study. So 96% of Christians believe that that's what they should do, that they should be a witness for Christ, that they've said in a sense evangelize people for, for Christ. And then kind of coming down from that, it says 73% feel they are equipped to do so which is still a great number, right? So 73% of, 100, of, of that 96% believe they are equipped to witness and evangelize people around them and people in their families, people in their workplace, whatever it may be. But 42% of that 73% in our current day say that it is wrong to share your faith with the intention of bringing them into your belief system. 42% believe that it is wrong or disrespectful to share your faith with them with the intention on bringing them into it. You know, and I think if we think about that in the, in the culture that we live in, that is a very defensive culture, that is a very argumentative culture, if we're honest with ourselves, and if these people who are participating in this study would be honest, uh, the real uh, issue is fear, right? We're fearful. We're afraid uh, of, of disrespecting people. We're afraid of how they'll respond to us, those type of things. And so, you know, I, I get it in a sense of wanting to, you know, people are, are a product of their culture. People are a product of the place that they've grown up in, whether it's in America or somewhere outside of, of, of our country. You know, wherever they've been, whatever they believe in is really a product of what they've been exposed to. And so I, you know, we have to take that into consideration when we're sharing the faith with people, when we're interacting with people or loving on people. But... 
If we walk in this, in this sphere or this uh, overly anxious expectation where if I'm sharing my faith with the intention of bringing them into what I believe, but I'm, I don't do that out of some sense of respect, I believe we're revealing two things to people about what we believe. I believe we're revealing two things. That first thing I think that we believe that we're showing them is that Christ must not be any better or more important than whatever deity or worldview they hold. If we hold back from sharing Christ with other people, number one, I believe we show them that Christ isn't as great as we say that he is or that he's not any better than the deity or worldview that they hold to. And the second thing I think is that we are simply afraid of the response of the rejection that we may get. And so for us this morning, I pray that as we go through this, we can look beyond some of those things, that maybe we can, we can look at new ways, adjusting to the culture around us, being able to evangelize adequately and properly, and, uh, and seeing how we can meet people where they are and do evangelism the way Jesus did evangelism, the way that he communicated evangelism to his people. And so just to kind of get us going, what is evangelism? The dictionary defines evangelism as this, spreading of the Christian gospel by preaching or witnessing, zealous or passionate advocacy for a cause. Okay, passionate advocacy for a cause. But even more specifically, and this is the uh, definition that I really want us to move forward with, nine marks ministry defines evangelism as this. Evangelism is teaching, heralding, proclaiming, or preaching the gospel, the message from God that leads us to salvation with the aim or the hope, desire, or, to, or the goal to persuade, to convince, or to convert those who are not of that faith. That is the definition of evangelism that I pray that as we look, move forward, we can look at everything we see this morning through those lenses to see what God has called us to in evangelism. So if you could, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Um, if, if you don't have your Bible with you, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to kind of go back through and see what God has for us here specifically in this text. Uh, you may have read through this text before. It's a pretty familiar uh, parable that Jesus teaches on. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 down to verse 14. Let's read together. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Verse 9, it says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite the, to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came into, in, in, in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, he says, for many are called, but few are chosen. So the first thing that I want us to see about evangelism this morning the first thing that I want us to see about evangelism this morning is that evangelism is intentional. 
Evangelism is not incidental or accidental. Evangelism is intentional. In verse 2, we see here that the king sent his servants to call those who were invited. To call those who were invited. You know, and so this is different than witnessing. You know, I talked earlier, I said that there's a difference between witnessing and evangelism. Witnessing and evangelism, I do believe, go hand in hand. They were one and the other. They go together because they are a multi-sensory attack on, or not attack, or display for the people that we interact with. Attack sounds a little aggressive. I don't want to necessarily say attack. But uh, witnessing is a vital part. They are different, but they work together. You know, because what witnessing is, is witnessing is what we, uh, what we present physically, what we show people with how we live our lives. Okay, so witnessing is, is kind of uh, visualizing what Christ has done for us which is not a bad thing, that if we are living a good life as Christians, if we are doing the right things in our lives, uh, treating people well, serving people, loving on people, that is us witnessing to people, and that is expected of us. We should be, as Christians, witnessing to people. But revealing good works or the fruits of the Spirit in our lives in witnessing is not evangelizing. But we haven't evangelized if we have not shared the gospel with them. Here we see the difference between witnessing and evangelizing. Is that evangelizing is coupled with a presentation of the gospel. And so it is this intentional, spoken message. The gospel is a message. And this is the thing that we have to understand sometimes. And I've heard it and I have even said it out of my mouth. But to truly see what the gospel is and when the Bible tells us what it means to evangelize church the thing we have to understand is that the gospel is a message the gospel is not an action the gospel is not a verb the gospel empowers action the gospel motivates action but the gospel itself is not an action the gospel is a message that is heard and that is spoken and that is presented to individuals no one is converted by our kindness you know, and, and no, one, no one is converted by our goodness and our mercy and our love to them because that in itself does not set us apart from any other religious organization that does good things and that loves on people and that encourages people. There is a difference. There is something different. And it is the gospel of Jesus. The way we live reveals the invisible kingdom. It visibly manifests Christ's work, but it is not the very element that changes people. It is not the very element that brings about salvation. Romans 10, 17 says, For faith comes from hearing, from hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. This word gospel here is translated into a message. It is not an action. It is a message that is said to individuals to hear. It says this. This is the power of salvation to those, uh, to, for it is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is not, like we said, this is an intentional evangelism coupled with the gospel. That is not an assumed gospel. And an assumed gospel would be coupled with witnessing. Because it is us assuming that they know because I act good, because I love people, because I serve people, that I must be doing this out of a motivation of the gospel. That is living an assumed gospel. But an active, communicated gospel is what evangelism is about. That's what God's brought us to. An active, communicative gospel, not an assumed. Because the thing is, you know, for me, and I know it will be very difficult to imagine this, but imagine that I just started really bulking up. Just really getting just fit. I mean, I, I don't appreciate that you laugh, Sean. I mean, you can't imagine me just getting. Yeah, well, you know, 
There was a day. But, you know, so if you, if you saw me and just week after week, the, the shirts just started to fit a little tighter, a little bulkier, a little more fit, a little more cut ups and veins and just really started and you know, walked around drinking my energy drinks like all these buff guys do and you know, got my creatine in it. And I just really started looking, looking fit. You know, the thing about that, if, if I started to look that way and you started to see it from me, you know, my changes don't necessarily affect you. You know, say you thought about getting fit and you saw me getting fit and you're like, yeah, I may want to get fit. You know, it, it may encourage you a little bit in that. It may make you curious. Well, I wonder what he's doing. It may affect our curiosity, but what I have not done in, in my fitness, in my bulkiness, I keep trying to make myself fit, but I'm just not there. What I've done is I've only shown you something that's happened to me and I have not communicated. I have not said to you, hey, look, my, my buffed up brother-in-law, he's got it. He's got, the, he's got the goods. He's got the workout plans. He's got the meal prep plans. He knows the, the substances you need, not substances, I'm not, but the, the nutrition that you need to, to get to where you're at. You know, he's got it together. I haven't said that to you by just walking around looking and acting a certain way. It's not until I've spoken to you, hey, he's the man with the plan. That's where you need to go. That's where you get what you need from. That's the difference between something that's assumed and something that's communicated is that I've spoken to you specifically. This is where this comes from. The reason I love people, the reason I'm good to people, the reason I act the way I act, the, we, the reason I do the way, things the way I do them is not because I'm just good and great at it. It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a savior that lived and died for my sins to offer for me a way, a, a way to be redeemed, a way to be brought in to, to his fold, into his family that was not because of my goodness or my great deeds. And Paul really hits this home in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I love that he says that there, there's no grounds for boasting, that if I'm preaching the gospel, there's no grounds of boasting. If I'm witnessing to people, there is grounds for boasting because the eyes are on me. If I'm doing good for people, it's easy to fall into this arena of like, Man, Jake's just really got it all together. He just, he just leads his family well. He just loves on people. He just does for everybody so well. Jake is so great. And if I never communicate where that work comes from and, and communicate, hey, I even fail in that most of the times. I have a place to boast from. And in our selfish, fleshly nature, we will settle in and we will tell ourselves, man, I'm doing good stuff. I've got it all together. I'm, I'm being good to people. I'm loving on people. I'm encouraging people. Man, I, I'm doing right. But when we preach the gospel, you know what we say? You know what we say? We say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a few things okay, but I still fail most of the time. You know, hey, I've done some good stuff in my life, but where I'm at isn't because of me, it's because of Jesus in my life. It takes the focus off me. It puts the focus on Jesus. And that if our gospel is not connected to our witnessing, the eyes will still always be on us. The gospel has to go out before us. The gospel has to be that thing that people see. The gospel has to be the message that is heard. 
And not only you know, in that our evangelism being intentional and pointing to the gospel, but in our intentionality of, of sharing the gospel, of evangelizing to those around us, it requires a sense of patience also in our intentionality, that we be patient. I love that in verse 4 he says, again he sent other servants saying. You know, he, 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 he showed, God showed this sense of passionate patience that they had already said no. They already, and they were invited. I, you, and this is what we have to understand, that the invitation, this free invitation was laid out, that they were all expecting. And in this culture, what would happen is they would get an initial invitation. There would not be a time set up. My wife would die in this culture because there needs, we got to plan this. There needs to be a time. I'm sorry, but there needs to be a time. Like we, we, we got to set a time and we have to be there at this time. And this is when we're there. But in this culture, what they would do, they would send out an initial invitation to this feast. And then what would happen is there would be another invitation that would come and let you know, hey, now's the time. Now's the time to come. And so they had already known. They had already known the feast was going on. They had already known the party was going on. And so the first servant came and invited them. They said no. And so what did the king do? He sent another message, another invitation. Hey, come. Hey, come. It's ready. He even continues on and we'll continue on here shortly and kind of get on that. But he says it's all ready. It's all ready. Just come. He showed this patience. You know, for us in our busy world, distracted, busy, consumed by everything, God shows us a lot of patience every day. And in our evangelizing, as we're being intentional, we may have to be patient with people in our lives in the same way. You know, he says, he says that they paid no attention, that they went off one to his farm, another to his business. They were busy. They had things going on and they were they were going out to these different things. And so and, and he even says down further, he says that while they the rest seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. This is actually talking about what Jesus would later do as he would hang on the cross and die. He said they treated the servant violently, that they not only rejected the invitation, but they re responded violently to it. And church, we live in that world today. That in our efforts to evangelize, you're going to get the I'm too busy. You're going to get I have too much going on. You're going to get the I don't have times. You're going to get the this just isn't my thing. You're going to get the violence even sometimes. My plea in our evangelism is that we are patient. My plea in our evangelism is that we are patient, that we are patient with people. And then he continues on, and not only does he call us to be patient in our, in our intentional evangelism, but also in our intentional evangelism that we would know that the weight of the work is not on you, that the weight of the work is not on me. He says in verse, uh, continuing in verse 4, he says, I have, this is the king speaking, I have prepared, everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. Church, we are called to be ready and willing not to make the change. We are called to be willing to evangelize, willing to communicate the message, willing to interact with people in this way. And he tells us here, he says that I've done everything. Everything is done. The feast is ready. The work is done. The slaughtering's been done. The table's been prepped. The glasses are filled. The, the utensils are placed. The chairs are clean. Everything's ready. Just come. The work's been done. And that's the message that we communicate to people in that gospel is that, listen, there's no work that you do. There's nothing that you do. Later on in this verse, we won't really talk about it, so I'll mention it right here. Later on in this verse, he mentions a man that comes that he sees, that the king sees, that isn't wearing the wedding garment. 
that isn't wearing the wedding garment. It's said that in this culture, that whenever people would come to a wedding feast or to a party or to a wedding specifically, that the host would give out wedding garments for the individuals to wear, for the individuals to wear so that they would be properly dressed for the occasion. So he's not even telling them that you have to come prim and proper and prepared for what you've been called to. He says, I'm going to supply you with what you need to fit in. And for us as Christians, that translates into you rest in, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and not in your own righteousness. That's your place as a part of the party, as a part of the feast, as a welcomed guest to the party of the family of God is not based on what you've worn to the party, but it's what the host of the party has provided for you to wear. That it's not your goodness, that it's not your status, that it's not your clothing, that it's not your appearance. It's what he's provided for you. He just says, come. He just says, come. Respond to the invitation. Be here. The work's been done. It is finished, as Jesus would say. Just come. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He says, I have it. I have it all. I have it all here. You know, for me, I thought about, uh, and I think about this because yesterday we went to an event. We had to bring food. But uh, have you ever had those moments whenever it's right before an event? And we didn't do this per se. I'm just saying. You have an event you've been invited to and you're expected to bring something to that event. In the last minute, you like freak out and you go and get something. What do we normally get? We usually get whatever the first thing is that we see, the cheapest thing or the thing that seems, it's not a lot of thought put into it. It's not real uh, greatly prepared and, and laid out on a pretty little platter for everything. Us trying to come to Jesus's party on our own accord is like that, like that last minute scramble to try to bring something that's good enough. And you know what? More than likely, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not really good enough for the party. Christ is not asking you to bring anything good enough. He's just saying, Come. He's just saying, come. And that's the message that we communicate in this intentional gospel. And not only, not only is it intentional in being patient, not only is it intentional in understanding that the work is not on me, but is also intentional in who we are seeking. Continuing on there in verse 9, he says, to go and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So who are we evangelizing? We are evangelizing everyone. Freely given. Everyone. And I love that later on, he says in verse 10, he says, and who were there? Both bad. I love that it said bad first. Because honestly, for all us, most of us, we'd say, hey, I'll probably fall into that category. Most of, he says, both bad and good are there. Both bad and good. Another uh, part of the Gospels, wherever a wedding feast is mentioned in Luke 14, 13 through 14, he says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you for they, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So he says, he says, invite those people that literally can't bring anything to the table. That you evangelize everybody, the bad, the good, those who have nothing. You know, the, the, we, and we've talked about this before, but the crippled and the lame and anyone who had a physical or, or, or mental uh, ailment, they were looked at as having a curse, that they were not worthy, that they could never be worthy, that they could never sit at the table of a king because of the 
ailment that they had because obviously because they have this ailment, there's something wrong with them that they've sinned or their family sinned in some way. They're cursed. They have no place. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says they literally have nothing to bring to the table. That's fine. I still have a spot for them at the table. I don't care what they've done. I don't care where they've come from. I don't care the situations that they've been in. Invite them. And because they can't repay you, you will be blessed that you share that with them, that you invite them to the table. So who do we evangelize, church? We evangelize everyone. Everyone is worthy of it. Everyone. And so not only is our evangelism intentional, but the last thing this morning is that our evangelism is relational. Our evangelism is relational. You know, for us and in, 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 in we have to understand that true evangelism, is, true evangelism is most effective in the context of relationship. The time we spend contributing to that evangelism process is important. You know, historically for the church, we placed much weight for evangelism on a 60-minute service with a five-minute altar call and expected that all evangelism is gonna, has to happen in this little period of time. That it has to happen with some guy that is called an evangelist standing on a stage calling people to repentance, calling people to, to change their life and then leaves. I mean, in reality, when we, and I've been to these things and I've enjoyed these things, but the evangelist just presents something and then leaves. And historically, what do we see? How many people that you, do you know who have been to those type of events and have been saved or baptized multiple times? Because the salvation process and the evangelism that we participate in isn't we treat it so much like this transaction, like we're swiping a debit card and things change and everything's hunky-dory and then everything just continues on. But in reality, true evangelism, true lasting evangelism with lasting effects happens in the context of a relationship. When you lean into people's lives, into their mess, into their muck, and you're constantly speaking this message of evangelism into their life of the gospel of Jesus. Because you know what I've seen? I've seen people in my life, people that I love and care for deeply, who, are, who would claim to be believers, who would say they were believers and who have responded to these evangelical events and done these things and been baptized and all this. But you know what? Every time they sin, they run away from God and the church because they think that if I'm sinning, if I'm making mistakes, then I don't have a place at the table anymore. So that means they have been evangelized with the wrong message. They have been told the wrong things. Evangelism is a relationship where we lean into people's lives and we forgive their, their faults and we walk through them in their struggles and their pains. And that's the message that people need to hear is that evangelism is relational. That when the best evangelism happens, it is happening in the day-to-day. -day. Intentional teaching and conversing you can do with those in your life that are desperate in desperate need of Jesus. Evangelism is less of a single transaction and more of many moments spent together working through questions and doubts together. Acts 19 talks about Paul. It said Paul spent two years every single day meeting with, praying with, teaching with individuals at Ephesus. And what did Ephesus become? Ephesus became one of the greatest bodies of the church in history. Paul spent time with those people. And, and, and after that, if you remember back in Acts 19, what happened after that? 
It said that believers came putting before, putting in the fire things that they were still participating in. So these believers, they weren't even perfect. After two years of communicating about the gospel, they were still holding on to sinful things, pagan things that they were participating in. It takes time. And listen, in our evangelism, in our relational evangelism, the thing that, and I know for me in my life and dealing with people of maybe different denominations or people that approach Scripture differently, the thing that we have to continuously understand is that when we are evangelizing individuals in this relational context, that is not for the sake of an argument or to prove yourself right, but it has to come from a place of love and concern for their well-being, for their eternity, for their day-to-day walk, to not have to rest in their own abilities, but rest in the ability of the Lord to carry them through all their struggles and all their hardships. You know, and it's not from this pious place of pride and prestige, but humility and love and honesty and authenticity and patience and most of all, prayer. They were leaning into this relational evangelism process and praying for individuals, not from a place of pride like I've got it all together. You know, and constantly saying that, constantly communicating, because that is the very essence of the gospel, is that I don't have it all together, but God does, and that's who I rest in. Charles Spurgeon said this, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Man, I love that. One beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Listen, we are all just beggars sitting at the king's table, Depending on what he's got. What are you serving me today, Lord? What have you got for me? What are you going to supply me with? What are you going to fulfill me with? What are you going to give me? What are you going to motivate me with? How are you going to do this situation? How are you going to provide in this? Listen, and just like your kids at the dinner table, you may not like every meal that's served. But the thing the Lord promises at his table is that you'll always be provided for. Maybe not always physical provision. He's not always going to make you rich. He's not always going to make you healthy. He's not always going to make you happy. But the thing He does promise you is He promises you that you will never be alone, that you will never be forsaken, that you will never not have a hope that you can hold on to, that whatever valley, whatever storm you're in, that there is something better beyond it. And that He not only walks with you in those things, but He goes before you in those things and fights those battles. The life we want and need is in Jesus. It's at His table. It's at His feast. And that's what we are inviting people into. Intentionally, relationally, communicating the gospel, letting them know that there's a seat at the table for them. There's a seat at the table for them. Proverbs 24, 11. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling towards the slaughter. Church, we have to understand the weight of eternity. And that's what we want to invite people to. A hope, an eternal hope in something bigger and better than whatever I can get my hands on tomorrow or today or the next day. And so what do we do in that? You know, to kind of wrap everything up, I want us to understand a few things. So, you know, we've talked about the gospel, the message that we're communicating. So, so we need to make clear, what are we communicating? What message am I communicating? And the gospel is that message. And so uh, uh, Legionnaire 
Legionnaire Ministries said it this way, and I thought this was the best way for us to, to help maybe us understand it, the three R's of the gospel, that this is the elements of the gospel that we communicate to people. And the three R's are ruin, redemption, and regeneration. For ruin, the scriptural verse there, you can write down and read it later in Genesis 3, 14 through 15. It talks about the fall of man. You know, that man sinned seeking after his own way. But then in verse 15, it offers a hope of something to redeem. And so the, the first thing that in communicating the gospel, we have to understand is the ruin, that we have a problem, that sin has cursed us, has separated us from God. And because of rebellion, choosing our own way, we've broken that relationship. We've caused a, a, a gap between us and God, but he's offered us a way. He's offered us a fix to that. And the second thing is redemption. In Romans 3, verse 21 through 26, we see Paul so beautifully lay out what redemption is. Op, you know, not connected to the law or being justified by the law, but being justified by the righteousness of Jesus. That he tells us in redemption that this is what God has done for us. That he, this trumps the bad news. That God has done good things for us to be able to be reconciled back to God, telling us that God has offered a full pardon for our sins through the loving and gracious sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So not only understanding the ruin of sin, but the redemption of God's mercy and grace. And the last thing being regeneration in John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Jesus tells Nicodemus, he tells him that, that you have to have a new birth. And listen, this new birth, this transformation is not a work that you've done. It's a work that God does on your behalf. A dead person cannot raise his self back to life. God changes our sinful heart from hearts of stone to life-giving hearts. God opens the blind eyes. God unstops the deaf ears. This is the work of grace. God bringing us back to life from dead to alive, free from the bondage of sin. So the doctrine of regeneration is telling people that, we, that you don't change you. That the Bible says in Ephesians that we are dead in our sin and our trespasses. A dead person can't revive themselves. He says that when we are in response to the gospel, that the work of life swelling up from within us is not of our own work or our own good or our own doing, but it's through the, through the work of Christ, through the work of God in our life. That the table is set, the meal's been prepared, just come. That's what the doctrine of regeneration tells us. So ruin, redemption, and regeneration are what we communicate. So who am I communicating to specifically? Church, the most important people you have to evangelize to is the people under your roof people in your family, the people you have a, free, a, 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 a pre-existing relationship with, that's the place we start. Evangelize your family. The, that relationship is groundwork for gospel ministry in your home, in your immediate family, those right around you, your kids, your wives, your husband, your parents, your grandparents. You know what? And, and unfortunately, sometimes they're the hardest to evangelize because they be, may be the most likely to be defensive or argumentative. And remember, that's what we had to talk about before, being patient. You know, being patient in our evangelism to those under our, our roof, being patient to those in our family that are right around us. Because the thing is, and the thing I had to be reminded about in evangelizing the people in my life and my family, is that Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to defend him with aggression. He doesn't need us to offend him with anger. 
Just like whenever Peter, remember we've mentioned this before, whenever Peter responded to those coming to, to arrest Jesus by being violent and aggressive and chopped off the ear of the soldier, what did Jesus do? He picked up his ear and he put it back on. And for me, and, and, and I'm just, that's such a beautiful illustration, is that when we respond to people uh, defensively on Jesus' behalf or angrily on Jesus' behalf, we cut their ears off where they can't hear what we're trying to say to them. God has not called us to be angry or aggressive. He's actually called us to be gentle and patient and peaceful with people. Be persistent, but be patient. And so our evangelism, especially to those who are around us who may be aggressive to us, that we be patient. That if we need to step away from a situation because it's getting too argumentative, then we do that, but we not give up. That we not give up. That remembering that evangelism, church, is made of moments. So whether this is your kid, your spouse, or your immediate family, that you would be patient and know that evangelism is made of moments. It's not made of one moment. And so beyond that, church, we reach out to our friends, our co-workers, the people at the gym, uh, your the people at your favorite restaurant, that you seek opportunities. You seek opportunities to interact with these people that you see constantly and invite them to the feast, showing them first your love and concern for them, knowing that, you know, a lot of times I feel like the, the church has kind of played up this uh, bad image of itself when we're evangelizing people where it's seen they feel like there's a motive behind it just to pad numbers. You just want me to be at your place to say that you have me there or that you have numbers or you have this or that. People need to know that our motivation is more than that. People need to know that our love for them, our concern for them is why we're sharing this message with them. People need to know that we're, we're, we're and, and it's not from a place of pious pride, but it's from a place of humility. And they can only know that in that relational context, like we talked about. And so when we're going to our friends, our coworkers, the people at the gym, our favorite restaurant, whatever it might be, that we're inviting them to, to the feast by sharing this message of the gospel. You know, and for us as individuals having to push through the awkwardness but embracing the opportunity that God's got that for us and he's invited us to that. And so then what if I can't do it? What if I don't feel equipped enough? Fear and inadequacy come and that's going to happen. But we have to remember that the king is doing the work. He's just called us to be a servant. He's just called us to be a servant. He says, I've prepared the dinner. Everything is ready. Come. The seat at the table is ready for you and anyone who would accept. This is the king's table. And not one of us deserves to be there. But the invitation was not based on our contribution. That's what we have to make sure people know. That's all. That's all they need to know. And a lot of times it's really great when it's coupled with our testimony. Okay, when we say, hey, I didn't bring anything to the table. It was God prepared the table for us. He just invited us to take a seat. He just invited us to take a seat. And so as we communicate that, we, he, just, he, he just invites us to be inviters. Isaiah 6, uh, verse 7 through 8, it says this. It says, Behold this. They has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And, and Isaiah says, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. This is the one of the only here I am moments where God doesn't speak out, invite a specific name. He just says, Whom will go? Whom will go? Whom will go and do this? Who will go and, go and communicate this message to people? Church, He has spoken that invitation over all of us. 
We all have a part to play in evangelizing our families and the people around us. We all have that part to play. All he calls us to do is to be willing. To be willing. And in our willingness, be inviting. That we are living as a witness to this glorious message. That we are living like we have a seat for them at the table. Have you ever been to places where there's restaurants or movies or games or something like that and you try to make yourself seem really big or like you're taking up all these spots because you don't want people to sit like right next to you because it's really tight seats? Don't live your Christian life in this way. Don't live your Christian life like there's no seats left. Make sure they know, man, I have a seat ready for you next to me. There's a place for you and it's here with me and I'll walk through this with you. I'll help communicate this to you. And so not only being invited, but church, the last thing, just being intentional. Seek the Lord to remove your fear to share. Seek the Lord to help you communicate the gospel in an active and vocal way. An active and vocal way. And Lenny, you can go ahead and come up in church this morning. I, I just pray, I pray that we would embrace a challenge to be evangelizing. That we would evangelize the people around us. That we would evangelize the people first in our homes. The people in our families. And then we would know that evangelism is intentional, evangelism is relational, that we are patient and we are persistent with people. Because we serve a good God who is patient and persistent with me when I constantly bucked him, when I constantly pushed him away until I finally was just like, God, you can have it. You can have it. I'm going to take a seat. I don't know what you're serving. I don't know what you've got for me at the table. I don't know what you expect of me, but I'm just going to sit and I'm going to let you show me what you've got. I'm going to let you show me what you have for me. I'm going to let you show me what you expect of me. You know, and I can promise you in my life, the moment I took a seat at the Lord's table, I would have never expected in a million years that I would be where I am today. Meeting in a cafeteria with a bunch of random people to talk about Jesus together, to worship Jesus. And that he would make us not random anymore, but he would make us a faith family that are joined together for the gospel and the good of our community. We never know what he's got for us at the table. All he's called us to do is sit. To have confidence that he's going to provide. To have confidence that he's going to give. To have confidence that he has something for you. So church, I just ask you, if you would, uh, to bow your head. And we're gonna, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to stand together. And we're going to worship just a little bit more before we leave here this morning. But I just, I, I ask you, as you pray this morning, that you would just remember, remember God's goodness for you. Remember what he's done. Remember what he wants to do. And remember that there are people in your life that desperately need to know and experience what God's done for you. So let's pray this morning. Father God, I, I pray. I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds, God. Remove any fear. God, remove any obstacles. God, remove any God, inadequacies that we may see in ourselves to be sharers of the gospel, to be actively sharing this gospel with people around us, God. Lord, and give us the courage. God, give us what we need. God, to evangelize the people around us, to evangelize the hurting in our community, to evangelize those that have maybe been disappointed by church, maybe don't care at all about it. God, that we would communicate to them, God, that we are just beggars like you begging the king for scraps but you know what he's got more than scraps for us he's got a plate for us at the table that we would communicate that to people let them know that there's a place for them God, that we're all beggars in desperate need of what the king's got 
Lord, I pray for, for courage this morning. I pray that we would worship you in spirit and truth, seeing you, reaching out for you, walking in the power that you've called us to, presenting this power of the gospel of salvation to those who would believe. God, you've just called us to be willing. You've not called us to be the best. You've not called us to have it all together. You've just called us to be willing. God, I pray that we would be a faith family of willing individuals.